started. My name's Jason Thompson. Uh, now I wear a lot of different hats. One is a uh, father, my son Will Hudson. He's a good southern boy. He has two names. So Will Hudson, uh, we adopted him from China. He's with me on this trip and just dropped him off. Uh, I don't know why he'd rather go play than come in here with all of us and be a part of this class, but uh, he, he's going to play. So it's kind of fun. Every time I've had one of my kids in third grade, I brought them with me on this trip, and it's just been a joy. We did Disneyland, uh, I guess it was uh, yesterday, uh, Monday, and uh, it was crazy, insane, and uh, a lot like church, right? It was just crazy, insane. We had a good time. Uh, I'm also the executive minister of the Harpeth Hills Church of Christ in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, actually in Brentwood, been there about 14 years. Uh, I'm a partner in a consulting firm. We help nonprofits and raise uh, capital and churches raise capital and, and take care of governance issues. And if you've ever been a part of a capital campaign, there was some nerd like me behind the scenes trying to help out and be a part of that. And I've helped numerous organizations across the country, small colleges to uh, churches in our fellowship and have been blessed. And then I'm on the governance team for the Ethos Church, which is also in Nashville, Tennessee, and has a partnership with the Harpeth Hills Church. But my roots go pretty uh, deep, so I've got a couple of different uh, backgrounds in Churches of Christ. I grew up in the backwoods of Georgia, a small church. When I was born, we did not have running water. And uh, uh, it's the kind of church where there's about 50 folks, and uh, we sang, Oh, Why Not Tonight, on Sunday mornings. And never made, never made quite much sense to me, but it was a sweet, sweet fellowship. Uh, those folks would be worried about all of us in the room today, but they would give us a shirt off their back. And I'm so grateful for that heritage. Then I spent about 11 uh, years in Atlanta in ministry, uh, church size from 300 to about 750 in those two churches, and then have been at Harpeth Hills now uh, with 1,000 plus folks. So I feel like I've got a good understanding of our different sized churches in our fellowship and the different dynamics. I talked about that, that little church I grew up in. I love that church, um, but it also probably ruined me. Uh, I got uh, gave my life to Christ on a Sunday morning and was baptized, and my uncle Doc walked up to me, and he said, you know what this means, right? You're a baptized believer. You're a baptized male believer. Uh, tomorrow night is our men's business meeting. All baptized believers must go to the men's business meetings. I'm 10 years old, folks. I'm going to a men's business meeting. No kidding. We're deciding about the preacher. Is he going to stay or is he going to go? Can we keep him? I'm 10 years old and I have a vote on this, okay? Something is so wrong with that church governance structure. But, but it, it's part of our heritage, part of our DNA, what about you? Would you turn to your neighbor? Maybe there's a couple, maybe three of you here. I see some, two of you here, two of you here. What type of church did you grow up in? My wife knows nothing about small churches. She grew up in a church of 1,500 people, and I tell her these stories about my small church roots, and she thinks I'm making them up. She thinks that really doesn't happen in church. I promise you it happens in small churches. Uh, turn to your neighbor. Maybe some of you are here together. What was the church like where you grew up? Take about just a minute. Okay. So, 
How many, how many of you are elders or elders' wives in the room? Raise your hands high. There you go, elders, uh, ministers or on ministry staff, okay? Uh, deacon or ministry leaders in churches? Uh, mad at the rest of those folks? Maybe you're a church member? And No, I'm just kidding. Not, not mad at any of the rest of them. Um, this class is part of what's on my heart all the time. I see our heritage wasting so much spiritual energy. In fact, it's odd that um, I'm following up with Richard Beck. His class was earlier, and this almost feels uh, uh, unspiritual to follow Richard Beck. But the things we're going to discuss today are important so that the Spirit of God can have full room to move. Are we as church leaders being good stewards of the leadership God's given to us? And so we're going to talk through some various forms, principles, just some best practices that I hope will help you go back and be a better leader. And uh, very few of our churches are really led well by a single leader. Most of our churches have shared leadership. And I would tell you, I believe it's one of our positives in our fellowship. So what about our roots? Uh, you are aware, right, that our roots are anti-clergy. I mean, think about it. A 10-year-old can be in a group of men and talk about the preacher's salary, but the preacher was not invited to the room. I, I mean, there are numerous churches where, where ministry staff is still a very arm's length from the movements of the church, and that's part of our roots. Uh, Campbell and Stone and others, especially those in the more conservative part of our fellowship, uh, they were very intentional to get away from a hierarchy, to get away from a, a uh, very distinguished leadership and ministers and to move from clergy into the priesthood of all believers, which is a good thing, but taken to an extreme, it can be ridiculous. Uh, Churches of Christ in the 20th century kind of galvanized around one structure. Do you, you remember this, right? Where you had elders who were the decision makers of the church, and then you had deacons who were the workers in the church, and then you had a preacher who was just trying to have an almost fight his way for influence. It was ridiculous because there, there really wasn't partnership. And preachers moved around every couple of years, frankly, I believe, because they were just trying to find a place where they had a voice. Uh, we muted our ministry staff. We muted our, our clergy. And then the 21st century, we saw just a deconstruction. Almost anything goes, and, and the conversation, and I believe it was a good conversation, became about shepherding. And we really stopped talking about leadership and how churches would move forward and how churches would operate, how churches would govern. And I believe it's one of the biggest issues facing our heritage right now is how will our churches move forward in a deconstructed world? Let's talk about some core theology. Uh, of course, God lives in relationship. So this conversation is not about how do I become a better leader, it's more about how do we as churches look more like God? Well, God himself is Father, Son, and Spirit, right? So God is triune. God is already in relationship, and we're made in his image. And he, he has determined to do his work on this earth through his people now, the church being incarnated. And thus, these truths drive where we're headed. Here's some other dynamics about the church. Go back and look in Scripture. The church is both organic. So wherever the Spirit of God moved, the church would respond. 
And when folks hear the word of God and they're pricked by the spirit, folks respond to God. And so the church is organic, and yet it's also institutional. Uh, church had different offices, even the New Testament. Uh, church is a movement. It was never meant to be just a gathering place. It was meant to be a movement. Church is where we see all these different gifts being expressed. And then we see various leadership roles in church. And you see a devotion to kingdom life over devotion to the life in the world around us. And then I think you need to be aware that churches were contextualized even in Scripture. So the church in Ephesus looked different than church in Corinth. And so there was contextualization. Let's talk about what's not working in churches of Christ. Uh, I'm not sure why it made its way in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and maybe even to the 80s. But this idea that we are now the leaders and we're in charge, that is not working in today's environment. In fact, if you want to run people off, if you want to take your church from 100 people down to 50 people the next couple of years, if you're an elder or you're a minister, and if you, if you live into this understanding that we are the ones who have the power, then, then folks won't follow you. Uh, I love this uh, quote, uh, leadership is not about being in charge. Leadership is about caring for those in your charge. And then what's also not working in churches of Christ is the idea that, hey, I became an elder just to be a shepherd, and, and I really don't want to talk about any of that business stuff or any of the uh, corporate stuff of church. I just want to shepherd people. Well, my question would be, then, who's minding the store? Who, who is actually making decisions? Who's deciding about the future? Who's having those conversations that churches must have? And to be very biblical, uh, elders, you are entrusted. You are an overseer. You are called to keep watch. You are called to live out this life of being a shepherd who cares and who leads, who protects. What's, what's also not working very well is a lot of our churches are going to a senior minister model. And while I think that is, a, is an answer to how do we engage our ministers more? The struggle is when you go to the senior minister model, very few of our schools are training ministers to be the heroic solo leader in the church. In fact, I would uh, beg for you to consider setting up any one person with that much authority uh, is a disservice not only to the church, but also to the person who's leading. I know of, of institutions, especially educational institutions, one in our city of Nashville, where some decisions were made, and if the headmaster had just had involvement from some other people, he would have had coverage, he would have had unity, he would have had a sense of, we're in this together, but by making decisions alone, he was left without any coverage at all. Um, a boss has the title, a leader has the people. Would you uh, do me another favor? Turn to your friends that you maybe talked to earlier. What do you see? Maybe it's one of these three. Are there other things? Man, it's just not working. I'm watching this over and over happen in our churches, and what we're doing is not working. 
these are my top three. Maybe you have a fourth or a fifth one. Would you do that right now? Turn to your neighbor. What is not working in churches of Christ? Okay. Do you mind a couple of you sharing? Had you maybe what your neighbor shared? You don't have to share what you heard, but what you said, what you heard. Um, maybe, maybe it's one of those three. Maybe it's something else. What's not, what's not working right now in churches of Christ? And and by the way, if you're here from the Christian church or you're here from uh, another fellowship of believers, um, most of this has to do with the crisis in our own churches. But I hope there are some things that you can take home with you as well. What what, what do you think about or here? Okay, so large decision-making by a large group is not working. Someone else? Yes, sir. Okay, so deacons just being deacons without a job. Got it, got it. One more, maybe two more. What's not working? Lack of vision casting, okay. Okay, so no one's, no one's casting a vision. We're just kind of keeping house, doing good stuff maybe, but not really going in a fort. There's not a movement. Okay, yes, sir. Okay, so leadership that stays in place too long, and there's not a fresh renewal going on. There's not a, a very natural uh, redevelopment of new leaders. Got it. Okay. I don't know if we're going to address everything today, but I hope we'll hit on a couple of areas that will be helpful. Here's some models of church leadership. Um, our traditional model is the elders as just purely a board of directors making decisions. Um, you can take out the elders and put men as a business meeting, whatever you want to put in there. It's the group that has the power. Do you remember this? There was a time in our history where if Sister Susie had cancer and a group of members wanted to have a Thursday night prayer service for Sister Susie, we had to call and ask the elders, can we have a prayer service for Sister Susie? Um, a shepherding model where elders now becoming shepherds and, and not doing much more than that. Uh, keep the peace model. Uh, I put this in here because I do think often churches we we love unity we love peace so much that churches no matter what the structure is if you put five people 20 people three people all we want to do is just kind of keep the peace um a democracy model I, I, i'm watching this happen where in smaller churches they're really there's becoming a vote where the membership has a vote on almost every decision um, policy governance model that's where policy makes the decisions and maybe you have selected leaders, but a group of folks have decided about policy, and so there's less decision-making that goes on in the group beyond policy. And then, of course, a hybrid model. It, maybe there's another model. I was just trying to capture some in our fellowship. Would you take just another minute? What model is your church presently living, acting out? How is your ch church functioning right now? Do you have a, still have a traditional hierarchy of elders? Do you have elders that are shepherds and you're not quite sure who's doing what else? Nobody's making a decision about anything. 
they're great shepherds. They're good men. I mean, they're the guys you would want your, children, your girls to marry, but they're not really making any good decisions. Uh, do you have the keep the peace model? Uh, do you have a democracy? Uh, have you really taken the time to establish policy? Do you have a policy governance model? Or is there, is there a hybrid? Let's keep talking. Which model do your, does your church right now have? Okay. Maybe there's another model, but how many of you still, your churches have traditional models? Raise your hands high. Okay, a couple of you, still very traditional. Uh, the shepherding model, raise your hands high. Uh, keep the peace model, wow. Uh, the democracy model, anybody have that? Okay. Policy governance model, you really do, you've done the work on policies. Hybrid. Have a, have a mixture there? Okay. Uh, I love Friedman. Like, he's like the closest I know to, like, being inspired. I love his work, generation to generation. A couple other things he's, he did before he passed. But one of the most universal experiences of clergy everywhere is that things can appear to be going smoothly when suddenly there's trouble in paradise. Like, ah, oh, that does happen. Like, you don't realize you have a problem until there is a problem. And oh, do we have at times problems. Uh, here's our issue. Uh, churches are very complex. I don't care if you've got 30 people or 2,000 people, they're complex. And church in its very nature is a relational movement. And yet, uh, we're not really trained well to lead in team environments, in people environments. In fact, uh, it takes a lot of work for my wife and I to get on the same page and to share values. I mean, it's work. It's good conversation. Sometimes it's good therapy. It's good, it's good, uh, some good pain. But man, it's work. So if a husband and wife struggle to get on the same page, it's difficult for church leaders to get on the same page. And yet, the folks who know how to do this and can lead effectively, who are leading churches, are those who know how to rally all the gifts, rally the troops, and to lead in an effective way. Here's some values for all church teams, uh, teamwork, um, trust. Man, have you noticed that it can, you can take years and years and years to build trust, and just one dumb decision or one dumb comment can just destroy all that work of building that trust. Uh, anybody who's in church leadership because um, they want a little power, uh, they'll ruin a church. I've seen it over and over. Someone who just doesn't have the respect and isn't taken seriously in their career will become a church leader, and man, they'll spread their pain. And there's a reason they were never respected. Stay with me. There's a reason they were never respected or were able to lead in other environments. And then they become a church leader, and they just spread all their anxiety, all their pain among us. It's one of the biggest uh, mistakes churches make. Uh, just putting a good person into church leadership can sometimes be very dangerous. Um, I think there has to be a high view of God's activity and all the strategic planning, visioning sessions I do, and even the capital campaigns, we may develop a one-year, two-year, three-year strategy 
And there's always got to be a lot of space there for God to just come in and change our direction. There's always got to be space to, for God to do his work. God's not far off. He's very close. We must be listening deeply for God and his work. And then finally, the ability to interpret the environment. Um, do you really understand your local church? Do you understand the external factors, the internal factors? Uh, this ability to discern what is right for this church is crucial. It's the biggest mistakes happens at church growth seminars or church workshops. If someone goes and they hear about, oh my goodness, can you believe what they're doing in Dallas, Texas? It's so great. And then you come home and of course what happens, you try that and it's the worst thing, you, biggest mistake you've ever made. Uh, it's discerning God, what would you have the local church here to be? Here's some deadly sins I see in shared leadership. Uh, changing the system without changing the values. Okay, what does that look like? Wow, we need our ministers to be more empowered. I know of a church that went through a big transition where ministry staff became more part of the leadership and started driving ministry. And what happened is that the church never dealt with its values. The value of equipping and freeing, releasing people is not in the church's DNA. And so all of a sudden, elders left their power thrones where they tightly controlled the church. And all you did was just change the structure and the ministers became controlling. That happens when you don't address the values. Not addressing conflict, of course, that's obvious. Elders just abdicating leadership. That blows my mind. Um, I am not for elders being controlling uh, demagogues. But I believe elders and ministers together ought to be leading, ought to be, ought to be going somewhere together on a journey. Uh, developing silos, lack of self-differentiation. Um, the ability to, that I have as a leader to stay very calm while the whole room is chaotic is the very best gift I give to our church. And I will tell you, it's one of the hardest things to do when you're wired emotionally like I am, to keep my own emotions in check. I've also realized this, just common sense. I can walk into the church office and I can be just real quiet and down. And the folks in the office will say, What's wrong? They're that connected to me. Or I can walk into the church office and be a person of joy, a person of encouragement, and, and through the power of the Spirit, I've got the ability to impact the environment. We as leaders uh, have to understand ourselves and have to keep ourselves from being pulled into the negative anxiety of our churches. Um, finally, not understanding the dynamics of church size. You don't operate a church of 100 people like you do 1,000 people. In fact, uh, a couple of axioms here, these aren't on there, but one would be um, the more people you have, the fewer decision makers. Did you hear that? The more people in your church, the fewer, fewer decision makers. Um, 
we'll get to who those decision makers ought to be in just a little bit. Um, it's ridiculous to have elder selection in a church of 700 folks and expect, el- expect folks to get some type of approval of a percentage. That's ridiculous. The church doesn't know Bob and Susie, but you can do that in a church of 250. So not understanding the dynamics of church size is, is um, one of the deadly sins. Here's some practical steps as you're working through your own church systems. Write down stuff. Why in the world do we not write stuff down? We ought to have things written down so if all of us left today, there are still things in writing that will help the next folks understand how to do what we're supposed to do. Um, each, each system, I don't care what the system looks like, must understand who decides. Who are the folks who are going to make some decisions around here? Uh, elder groups, uh, this goes true for elders or ministers. Are we pushing decision-making out? Uh, elders ought to be making very few decisions. In fact, the decisions the elders ought to be making are generational decisions. Uh, elders and ministers together ought to be making very few decisions. Hear that again. The church leadership ought to be making very few decisions. And the decisions that are being made are generational, are the most impactful, and all other decision making ought to be pushed out. Power of listening, and then of course the point person is important in any system. My uh, three kids play basketball. Uh, We have become that family I used to make fun of. You know, the family that goes to all the kids' sports all the time, that spends Saturdays and kids are going to 8.30 service and having to get them to a tournament for 11 o'clock. One of the things I love about basketball is uh, two of my kids play point guard. I love that position because you're the chief servant as a point guard. And good teams, elders and ministers need Good point guards. Let's talk about just one example of how we're functioning at Harpeth Hills and see if this cannot help you in uh, whatever size church you're leading. We have 15 elders, 11 ministers. Each of our elders has five to seven uh, couples or single people who they're pouring themselves into who are also uh, leading the church and shepherding the church. So, we call this Barnabas. We didn't want to call it shepherding because we didn't want to scare folks off. So each shepherd at Harpeth Hills has five to seven individuals or couples who's helping him and his wife shepherd the church. So everyone in the church is tied to a shepherd, every single person. And no one at Harpeth Hills we want to walk alone. Believe me, folks fall through the crack. We have a back door problem. But I can tell you, we're at least not using the excuse. There's not enough elders to go around. So every elder has five to seven people who are helping him and his wife to shepherd the church. Uh, We have an administrative team of four elders, two ministers. Uh, Those elders rotate. Uh, They serve about 12 to 16 months and rotate every four months. And then our vision theology conversations uh, happen with all the elders and ministers. How can you not believe a youth minister is not as committed about the future of the church as an elder? 
or the worship minister is not as committed to the future of that church as an elder is. So conversations about where we're going include our elders and our ministers. Uh, we do these about once a quarter in three or four hour sessions. Sometimes we do those in two hour sessions on a Wednesday night. So our elders meetings are prayer sessions in discussing where are we going. Uh, most everything else is handled by the admin team of a few elders, myself and the preaching minister. So Harpeth Hills, I guess this was um, three years ago, started talking about and spent a year discussing would we add a third service that was instrumental. And, and whether or not you agree with that decision or not, the decision was inclusive of every single elder, every single minister. That type of decision making is not being done just by a few elders or by a few ministers. It's being done collectively. It does help whenever you have a straw man proposal to get conversation going. It does because you start in a room with, well, what do you think? It's not really helpful. It does help to have someone to lead the session, to have a point person, a point guard on the team leading at the conversation. It is not that we're afraid to make decisions at Harpeth Hills. Sometimes we don't make the decisions we need to make because we're not willing to put the effort into making them. Uh, together is always better. And if you've got a few folks who want to hijack and take the church in a direction, it may be a temporary fix, but it's not going to be sustainable. And when you can have all your ministry staff and all your elders going together, remember, you're not discussing, are we going to have what kind of classes on Wednesday nights or we're going to have Wednesday nights. I mean, you're, dis you're discussing how are we going to be about making disciples? How are we going to help families? How are we going to help singles live into this uh, holiness of singlehood? Those are the kind of conversations that I believe elders and ministers ought to be having. Um, here's just some guiding directives for shared leadership. Uh, I'm not talking about church growth here. This is about kingdom advancement. Uh, any governance or structuring you have ought to be to free the people. It's never about controlling the people. It's, it's how do we free people to lead and to live into their calling, their giftedness. Established churches, if, if you're not willing to think um, with a level of entrepreneurship, you're going to struggle. Um, generational awareness and inclusive. Uh, let, me, uh, let me speak to that. I need to do more research on this, but here's what my own, my own um, insights tell me. That when we involve the 20-year-olds into meaningful leadership and meaningful ways to serve, and they're not just four levels away from being decision makers, they'll stay with us. They'll stay with us. I mean, my eighth grader has more access to knowledge and information than my parents ever had. And, and how do we expect the 20s and the 30-year-olds in our churches to not mature if we're not willing to have them at the table 
to have meaningful dialogue with them and to give keen responsibilities to them. So be very aware of including that generation. Communication, is there genuine affection? If you don't like your church, you won't stay there long or, you'll, or you will cause a lot of heartache and problems. Um, it's kind of like your own children. You gotta like your kids. You gotta like your people. There has to be genuine affection. Uh, non-anxious culture, relationships. Uh, don't 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 just take that for granted. Build relationships. Uh, be on mission. Uh, this is one of my favorite taglines. I've started using. Uh, I don't care what church you're in. You can still be creative. And creativity is theologically neutral. Well, okay, maybe you can't do the thing you wanted to do, but what else can you do? Creativity is theologically neutral. Um, and then, of course, sound pro financial practices. Let me talk to you about how we function on our administrative team. Um, basically, you've got the um, three elders or four elders. Different times we have three, sometimes we have four. And they're meeting together, and I'm, I'm a part of that, and so is our preaching minister. And we're just basically making decisions all the time that are, need to be made, or we're pushing the decision-making out. And uh, those elders rotate. Folks have said to me, man, Jason, you ought to have just the guys who are good at that on that team. And my response has been, it just doesn't feel as inclusive. Um, I'm all for inclusivity. And, and I err on the side of inclusivity. I don't want any elder to think, well, you're not as capable of being on this team. And then I want our ministers as appropriately to be on the team as well. So a minister will get called in to a conversation that is uh, uh, relevant. So here are the only decisions that our eldership makes. All decisions that include matters of doctrine, implication, or significant innovation in a church's life must be approved by the shepherds. The decision that we made to add the instrumental service, we wanted that to have eldership approval. Uh, the, the shepherds will approve the final budget that normally is a five-minute conversation. All the work's been done, and the elders just wind up um, doing the final approval on that. And then uh, the shepherds will approve the final budget. The shepherds must approve all the long-range strategic plans. Uh, shepherds will make all final decisions concerning ministry staff. So uh, only a couple of us are reporting to the eldership, but any decision about the uh, hiring or release of a uh, minister must involve our elders. And then anything that we were spending over $100,000 needs to have our elders' acknowledgement and approval. Doing this has not created a perfect world for Harpeth Hills, but it's freed up our elders because how often do you talk about those type of things and then where we're going, the number one up there, our doctrine, our innovation, our church life, that's where we want to spend most of our time, where the Spirit of God is leading us to be faithful in the context of our community. And, and so we do a good job of that, that conversation does not need to be at the elders table. That is an admin team decision or that is a ministry team decision. So we, we push decision making out so that the conversation is happening. So here, here's what I would tell you. It's a lot easier to discuss should we buy a bus or not. 
than to talk about how we're going to treat a brother or sister that's struggling with sexual identity. How are we going to treat um, uh, folks who feel like they've been marginalized for years? How are we going to walk more like Christ and be more holy? How are we going to equip our church to uh, not just be consumers, but to be people on mission to, to actually use their spiritual giftedness, their abilities for God, for his glory? Those conversations are a lot more complex. But if you're spending all your time talking about the bus and, and what type of classes we're going to have on Wednesday nights, you're robbing the church of the stewardship that God has placed within you when he called upon you to be the leaders. And I'm speaking to elders and ministers both in the room right now. I, as a minister, feel as responsible and love my church as much as any of our elders do. And, and I don't think of that as I love the, the church more, I think of the 15 elders as loving the church like I love the church. And we're in the churches of Christ. We're not in another group. And our fellowship is elders and ministers. And we got to come together to talk about the big stuff. That's why you do things like have an admin team. That's why you make sure that only people who have the capacity to talk about a hot topic without getting mad, don't make that person a minister or an elder. If a person's going to be a hothead, why do you want that person in leadership? Self-differentiated, staying calm. There's got to be some character here for us all. So I would tell you that I believe that Paul and Jesus have given us all. If we're going to share in this leadership, if Donnie and I are going to be on the same team and we're going to lead this church together, then Paul says, of course, he is the one who preaches when, who praises God whenever Christ is preached. So I don't care if the preach. in fact, I think we've got about four different guys at our church and a lady too who, who are so much better teachers than I am. Man, I'm thankful for it. And we got folks who are, who are more gifted at giving counseling and care than I am. And I'm thankful for it. And what I often need to do, and so hear this for yourself too, is I need to live into the fact that God loved me. And he created me just like he wanted me to be. That high view of God. And so you, you don't need to be like anybody else. You just need to be the most faithful creation of God in your context where he's placed you into. Also, Jesus said, whoever wants to become the great must become a servant and must be a slave to all. I don't hear any power in that. Let me, let me prove to folks what kind of decisions I can make. It's more about serving the church. Paul also said, though I'm free, I belong to no man. I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. I've become all things to all men, so by all means possible, I might save some. And of course, Jesus' words about character, the poor in spirit, the meek, the pure in heart, the peacemakers. And I love this. Paul writes to the church in Corinth. 
Make room for us in your hearts. I've got great confidence in you. I take great pride in you. I am greatly encouraged in all of our troubles. My joy knows no bounds. And then a good word for, for all of us. As for the best leaders, the people do not notice their existence. The next best, the people honor and praise. The next, the people fear. And the next, the people hate. When the best leader's work is done, the people say, we did it ourselves. I talked about that small country church I grew up in. And, um, man, we had, like, nobody in the youth group except for my cousin. So it was me and my cousin, and we were the youth couple, you know, not a youth group. And uh, she and I would love to go and play church. So we had Sunday night church, and so she would come to my house. I would go to her house, and we would go and just play church on Sunday afternoons and pretend like we were the big people in church. We were probably seven or eight, nine years old. And so we would uh, have the crackers, and we would have Kool-Aid for the grape juice. We would uh, put all the stuffed animals up, and, and uh, we would always almost have a church split because Dina wanted to be the preacher, and I wanted to be the preacher. And so we would have almost had a church split among us, but we worked it out. And, um, man, uh, I loved hanging out with her and just doing that. And, uh, oh, yeah, sometimes we would go out, and, uh, at our church at least, we would go out to the uh, carport of her, of her house or my house, and we'd take out our candy cigarettes and say, let's be the deacons and start smoking our, our cigarettes. Because in our church, the deacons smoked. And, uh, and uh, wow, it was, it was funny. Um, man, I, here's my prayer for myself and my prayer for you. And, and life has a way of maturing us quickly. Uh, I've, I've gone through some, some simple trauma over the past several years. Lost my mom, my dad, my grandmother, that whole generation, two generations in one year. And, and now I care for my sister who has special needs. And, and um, it has a way of sobering you up when you're, you don't have your parents around anymore. I, I would pray that we would take this seriously. That, that I won't see what I do as just playing church, just keeping house. That, that I would not see what I do as just keeping institution going. Um, how, how do we keep the institution functioning? How do, how do we make ourselves, quote, unquote, attractive for the world? I, I would pray that we would go back to the very roots of who we are, and that is we are created in God's image and we believe that walking in step with God's spirit is the very best life for anyone. So how does a church, whether it's 20 people, 30 people, 50 people, 500 people, 1,000 people, how do we best live out the gospel mission? And so thus as churches, um, I don't see any way around our fellowship of having shared leadership. Um, I do know that the, the more you work on policy, the more you work on and talk about things that are really important, and you trust other people to make other decisions, and you include others in, on the journey, I believe the more impactful the church will be. So I would ask you to think about what is your next step? 
as we close here. If you want to see uh, this verse lived out into reality, future generations praising God, what is the next step? What's the next conversation you need to have at your place? How do you need to reorganize your church? Uh, I'm a part of Hope Network, and we got a slew of guys that could come help you do some strategic planning, some restructuring. But how do you need to restructure? How, how do you, what do you need to confess? What, what is your next step? And here's what I want us to do. I want us to share that next step. We're going to stand up in just a moment. And honestly, if your next step is, I really don't know. God can handle that. Tell God that. God, I really don't know. Help me see it. Uh, if I can help you, uh, if any of this is helpful, uh, I'll email it to you. Uh, my email addresses are up there. But would you commit to not coming to Pepperdine just to hear something about, oh, he told us one good practical thing about shared leadership. Would you commit to what is your role? Maybe it's you, yourself getting some counseling because you don't know how to differentiate yourself. You're too emotional. You're in these meetings and you're the one blowing up. Or, or you're fighting for power. You want to be taken so seriously when maybe what you need to do is wash the feet of the folks in the room instead of fighting for the power. But what is the next step you need to take? And if you're comfortable sharing that, I would ask you to do that. And then I'm going to uh, pray over us. So let's stand together. And would you find one person that you're, you'll share with what you think your next step might be? Okay, would you uh, all kind of turn in towards the circle here and kind of turn towards me? Uh, I love getting a room like this together where there's elders and ministers and, uh, and church leaders. Uh, what, what blessing, as we close here, let you do the blessing. What one word or sentence would the Lord want you to share with the rest of us today? Uh, mine would be just that simply, take the next right step. Uh, I talked about my dad, and uh, my dad was just a normal guy, and I think until I was uh, probably older, I didn't realize what a hero he was. And uh, he, he never was famous. He never had a big, I always wished he was something like a firefighter or something cool, but I realized the older I got, if I left this earth and uh, my kids think of me as my, I think of my dad, man, that'd be a great life. And so my dad just always was faithful, always took the next right step. So my blessing over you would be just take the next right step. Is there a word of blessing, a sentence or two? Yes, sir. First uh, Peter 5 says, uh, be shepherds of God's flock as under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing to do. Not eager, for, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And this is the blessing. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that will never fade away. No one's going to follow that. I mean, come on. That's, good. that's really good. Thank you. Amen. I've noticed in uh, our church how that um, if you make room for the spirit, you don't know who he's going to talk to. And who's going to bring you the ideas? And so my blessing would be to be open to the ideas, no matter where they come from, that are consistent with God's plan. 
Yes, sir. My blessing would be for us to pray for wisdom. Just like Solomon was offered wealth or death of his enemies, he asked for wisdom to deal with the people of God. And maybe that's what we need to be more concerned of, that we pray for wisdom from God to lead us and show us how to go and who to be uh, close with to, to, to do the will of God. Thank you. For the women that's here, um, pray for your husbands. It's not easy when they go out there, whether it's a business meeting or an elders meeting, and they go off and they do what they need to do for the Lord. Uh, pray for them. Um, as hard as what that is, and sometimes you want to save them because you see how they struggle and like, oh, just walk around like that. Pray, hold their hand, cook them a good meal <laughs> from time to time. Thank you. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Uh, I don't know. Maybe this will bless some people. Um, I think one of the things that I would encourage everyone to do that I have to remind myself is uh, Philippians 4.8, that which is upright, true, holy, etc. Think on these things. It's, it's easy to get caught up in what's going wrong in leadership. And um, I think there's something we can learn uh, from that about even when things are going wrong, if we can pick out the good, it helps us handle the things that are going wrong a little bit more easily. Yes, ma'am. You might not be able to change things that you want to in the church, but you can pray, you can mentor uh, a family, you can mentor a single mom, um, you can gather them around your table and then that blessing will flow out to further members in the congregation. But you don't, don't look at the big picture. Look who God is sending into your life that the ripples will ripple. Thank you. Let's pray together. So, Father, I would pray that the words that have been spoken by my brothers and sisters be true. And for every man and woman who's in this room who's called to lead. And, Father, there is nothing at all to shy away from that about that is one of the, the gifts of your spirit that we are called to lead may we lead humbly may we lead um, away from just showing power but may we lead toward expanding your kingdom and loving your people and serving your people and god may our churches uh, not be irrelevant may our churches be full of grace and mercy and peace and and, and Father, provide for a world that uh, is seeking you. Provide hope and provide answer, provide relationships, provide community. And Father, I'm so grateful for your word. And Father, our foundation is not in our own thoughts. Our foundation is in the truths, the promises, the principles of your word. And Father, every single church here, that's represented here today is uniquely defined by you. You have brought just the right people together for the right time. And Father, may we as leaders uh, keep moving forward and do that together. And, and Father, may we share in this partnership, this goodness of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. Have a blessed day.